This week's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast is an interview where Galen Newtall interviewed me on his Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. Galen's Clean Bill of Wealth podcast interviews physicians and professionals about financial health. As a certified financial planner, he helps physicians make financial decisions to help grow their wealth. We discuss the benefits and differences between active and passive ownership in healthcare real estate. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall, and today I am joined by Trisha Talbot. Trisha is the managing principal at Doc Properties and works with uh, medical professionals uh, with real estate options. So that's what we're going to dive into today. So first off, Trisha, thank you for being on the podcast. No, oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. And um, I was joking that your intro is your bio was very short that you sent me that you're the managing principal at Doc Properties. Um, so maybe just elaborate a bit on like, you know, what is what are some of the main ways that you support uh, doctors in their lives? Sure. Yeah, that, that was probably just uh, my title. But uh, but yeah, I help uh, physician owners and investors in the healthcare real estate asset class. And um, what that means is there are a lot of times physicians, um, you know, another way for them to build their personal wealth and something that is easy for them to understand and makes a lot of sense is to own own the building that they practice in either uh, just for their practice if they're um, big enough or that they occupy and have other tenants. Um, there's just, uh, it, it it's, really easy. You know, doctors are, um, constantly being pressed right now with insurance, um, capitations. They, uh, if they take Medicare and Medicaid, that's another, um, you know, hit that they take the malpractice insurance. Um, so there, there's a lot of costs involved in addition to, you know, the fact that they already invested a ton of time and money in getting educated and then, you know, fellowship, and training to be where they are. And typically when they start to um, get into about their mid mid career, they're thinking of ways to invest in themselves um, and investing in the property, investing in real estate is one of them. If they are real estate savvy, sometimes they do become investors in other property types. Um, but being in healthcare real estate, it seems to be easy for them to understand if they are either a third-party investor, um, they can typically look at the tenant mix and see if it's going to be a property that will survive with the tenants in there um, being there long-term. And then they themselves, you know, um, can also sign up. They, they, there's many financial aspects to them owning their own property. First, the, the, there's an ownership structure, which it can be with the physicians in the group, some of them, or um, all of them. It Then they also 
typically sign a lease with the practice for tax purposes. And I won't cross the lines for any CPAs out there, but um, they can obviously talk to them about how those things help them. And then, you know, just real estate investing in itself with depreciation and um, appreciation to being able to uh, depreciate some of the capital improvements, but then the property itself appreciates. And here in the U S right now, interest rates are really low. Um, so it's a good time in many, for many reasons to invest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And they're low in Canada too. Um, I was watching a TV show. That's not that old. It was how I met your mother. It was like, a couple, <laughs> I don't know how many years back and a characters were getting a mortgage and they were like, Oh, I hope let's pray for 6%. Like they were like trying to get it as <laughs> low as 6% on their mortgage. And I'm like, this wasn't that long ago. <laughs> like 6% is like, that feels like really high. So yeah, it's very low up here too. Um, yeah. So I'm hearing like really supporting physicians and looking at, you know, either uh, as adding property to what they're up to when it comes to, you know, building, uh, building wealth or building their assets. So yeah, for sure. And um you know, what are some of the things you see, like when you're working with physicians around this topic of um, real estate? And I don't know how different it might be down in the States than here. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, I think there's some similarities from whether people work in a hospital or work on the, in their own clinic and like own their own like property for the clinic. Um, but yeah, so if you could just walk through a little bit, like when is, what are those stages you see among physicians is like, people starting out and starting to look at this as an option versus like, you know, later on or personal versus professional, like what are some of the things you see? Sure. Um, so typically I don't see early careerists um, mm -hmm. just because I think that they come out of school, a lot of them with a lot of debt or um, if they haven't decided if they're going to go into private practice or if they're going to be a hospitalist to start. Mm -hmm. So typically there's a lot of decision-making going on. And um, unless they come from a very high net worth family or, you know, some sort of situation like that uh, funds are typically tight uh, when they get into the mid career though, and, and starting families and they start thinking about the future and, um, and I think also getting a little frustrated when they get squeezed with costs and um, they start to think about how, how can I make my money work for me? And it typically comes also if they are looking to either expand, um, they start looking at the costs of leasing plus um, building out tenant improvements. And then that, you know, the lease versus own analysis, I think helps perpetuate this decision further because when they start looking at the numbers and they say, Hey, we're going to put in, you know, especially some high specialty groups that need, um, some pretty expensive tenant improvements, think, you know, imaging or, um, you know, if an orthopedic group wants to put in maybe a, a surgery center or procedure room, you know, landlord, any landlord does not, is not going to supply, um, a hundred percent of those tenant improvements. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll come up to a certain point for a specific lease term, but then the practice has to say, okay, we're going to come up for the rest of this. But then even if we sign a 10 year lease at the end of 10 years, we don't own the space. You know, we have to just keep renewing, or then we have to move and put up, put out all of this expense again. So, when they're looking at, you know, expanding that, that becomes another kind of pivot point. Um, and if the practice is big enough and it can occupy its own building, say 20,000 square feet or so, 
you know, they, they then start thinking, you know, it makes much more sense for us to go into either a building that we can um, do a uh, adaptive reuse, or, you know, they, they even think of building their own building here in Arizona land is fairly plentiful ish. Um, if you go out far enough, but, you know, we still have land, um, land to spare and other denser cities and, and geographic areas, that's not possible. So obviously it, it depends on where you're at, but you know, finding land, building a building. And then, you know, from there, they have a ton of flexibility with regard to refinancing, um, owning it, you know, giving distributions. And then, you know, when they're, when the practice is like, you know what, I'm, we're going to, we have about 10 years left or, um, there, you know, there's part of the practice is saying, Hey, you know, we have about 10 years left. They can put a lease on it and sell it to an investor as a sale lease back. So it offers a lot of options for them, um, throughout the life cycle of their business. And I actually just met with a group that offers ownership structures for physician groups and they help with the fine help with sourcing financing, but they actually develop these ownership structures where if a practice has multiple buildings, um, it allows different physicians to own different parts of different buildings under the same kind of umbrella. And at, you know, it's good for recruiting because they can offer ownership options for physicians coming into a practice. And then as a, a physician is saying, Hey, you know, I'm getting to the end of my career and I want to cash out. It actually offers some options for those. So, so for uh, throughout the life cycle of a practice, it can, mm-hmm. it can really, um, I think, be a good economic benefit for, for a practice rather than, um, you know, for some, I mean, for some that don't sure. have an expensive build out, it, it doesn't, but, right. but yeah, there's very, there's decision points, but typically it's about the mid career, um, that they start looking at it and start to figure out, you know, what, how can I make my time and money work for me? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm hearing that. Like, so not so much starting out, which makes tons of sense because there's usually still like a lot of debt and just getting started and really figuring out the finances. But like what I'm hearing is like that move from renting space from someone else or leasing space. When does it start making sense to actually, you know, build your own spot or own your own spot and then become the actual landlord of your own practice and potentially other people. Um, <laughs> so definitely that's something that I've, that I've seen happen. And, um, you know, and then where do you fit in? Like you mentioned different calculations or you mentioned different sorts of like, you know, things to keep in mind. Um, when does someone typically reach out to you to start looking at this or like at what stage does someone, can someone benefit from a conversation with you? Well, if they're looking to buy, it's nice to have a little bit of runway and to build, you probably need about two and a half to, I'd probably need three years. Cause, um, even if you find something right away, there's just a, there's just time involved in there. So I typically, if someone's leasing, um, you know, if they have three years or more, you know, three or four years left on their lease, it's nice to get involved then. Um, and then as long as they have some runway, you know, we can look for, deals that make the most sense, um, <clears throat> rather than be feeling like you have to make a decision because you're under their gun. Um, so I help source, source properties. Um, I help, um, sell properties to, and I, and I know a lot of different investors. I know their requirements. I know ones that will like certain properties versus the other, um, something else I take into account. I mean, I, I, obviously, um, provide 
all offers, but I, I have some insight into some, the, if certain, certain people, parties will fit together more than others. Um, obviously not all the time, but I, I kind of have a, I've been doing this for a little while. So if I feel like there's a certain investor that might fit with a, a group of the personality of a practice, you know, I, I kind of provide some thoughts there, um, and let them make their own decision. Um, but that's helpful, but there's different investor groups that depending on the size, depending on the tenant, depend or the practice, um, depending on the location, there's certain investors that invest in, in, in those different characteristics. So, so my job is, you know, to, to help, help a practice just, you know, get a building or when they're ready to sell it. Um, I, I can kind of match them with an investor that would be interested in their property. Very cool. And so, you know, what are some of the things that when someone does acquire a property, like let's say a doctor goes through that process of, okay, it makes sense for me to stop leasing or stop renting from someone else. Like I should own my own place and start to like build this as part of my own like portfolio. Uh, What are some of the things that people should be looking at like as an ongoing management that um, they may not be aware of? Yeah. So um, (laughs) that's a great question because I sometimes I come across positions where it's a, you know, it's a, a group and someone's just raised their hand to, to manage, they might have a bookkeeper to, to, you know, do profit and loss. But other than that, they kind of just do an ad hoc management. If something breaks, they call a vendor. Um, but if you're a busy physician and things like that start to happen, if you have other tenants, um, that can, that can, eat away at your time and become a second job very quickly. Plus vendors typically, especially in real estate, they, I mean, here in Arizona, they do, they start early, but I think anywhere they start early. Um, So they, they typically start very early in the day, but they can get sidetracked because something's not going right and they have to fix it. So you could be seeing, trying to see patients um, or, you know, even, I, even if it was a day that you're in a procedure, so that wouldn't, that would be completely inconvenient, (laughs) but, um, there's a, you know, there's a vendor that you have to try to, to connect with in order to address something. Um, so I, I typically ask, um, the practice, you know, the practice, if, if everyone's still going to be a practicing physician that they, they really need to hire a property management company, a professional property management company, hopefully one that has some um, experience with healthcare properties helps. Um, just as an example, like janitorial is, um, Mm. you know, a lot of physicians and practices really want there to be a deep cleaning. (laughs) Um, and then medical waste is is an issue that needs to be addressed at healthcare properties. So that has to be handled appropriately. Um, you know, you typically the heating and cooling system is a very, uh, sensitive is very sensitive that they want to have a climate control. Sometimes it needs Mm. to be cooler for in some places than others. If they have backup generators, those have to be managed as well. So there's just a lot of infrastructure in a healthcare property that needs to be addressed. And I think it's definitely worth the money to have a professional property management company handle the day to day to where you know, you're, you're just looking at the reports or answering questions, um, and making decisions at the end of your day, uh, you know, maybe with a couple emails. So I, I strongly encourage that. Um, another thing, you know, when, uh, and I believe this is applicable in Canada as well, but 
know, I think physicians feel, um, you know, there's the, the, the banks here in, in the U S and I'm assuming in Canada, they, they really like physicians, mm-hmm. um, you know, to lend to physicians because they typically have a, re- they're going to have a reliable career and, um, cash flow. So the, the terms are very favorable. There's also capital partners that, um, you know, if they're building a big enough building that starts to become pretty hard to manage, um, and, you know, continue your day job. So there's development partners, there's capital partners. Um, there's all of, there's a whole ecosystem that, you know, want to help physicians where they don't have to do it all themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and they partner with them. Obviously, you know, there's some ownership structures and maybe some joint ventures, but I think at the end of the day, especially if you're an expanding practice and you need to do several clinics, um, maybe not having all the financial risk could be something that is of interest. Yeah, for sure. Um, because yeah, definitely like, um, physicians, yeah, similar peer. like, I mean, you know, when it comes to lending, um, you know, it's a stable, fairly stable income. So banks are like, okay, we can count on this. Um, and then, and then what I'm hearing is around the physician, you know, how much of their own time does it make sense to spend, uh, you know, doing this when obviously their time is very valuable and they've spent all this time getting really good at, you know, their practice, you know, it doesn't make sense for them to be taking their time out to address some of these day-to-day uh, issues. Or even the, like you said, if, if there's someone who's like a surgeon, who's in a surgery, they can't hop out to go, you know, fix a leak or something like that. Um, yeah. Well, not only that, unless they grew up, you know, in a real estate family, I mean, you could, they, they could take all the time and rearrange their schedule, meet with a vendor who, you know, is explaining something to them and they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> one, they don't know. So either the vendor, hope, you know, I mean, there, there are bad apples everywhere, but hopefully the vendor doesn't take advantage of them, but there are vendors that could take advantage of them um, because they don't know uh, really what they're looking at. And two, how do you make a decision about something you don't know, you yes. know, you're guessing and then either that, or, you know, they're, t- they're very high intelligent. So the, and that, or they'll spend a ton of time doing research that they don't need to do yeah. about something that they could get some really good advice on and probably take uh, one tenth of the time that they would need. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like they don't have that necessarily have that existing framework for making decisions if they haven't really grown up with it. And I'm sure the, the learning curve could probably be pretty steep on, on some of those decisions. It can be expensive. That's the, that's the mm. bad thing is, is, you know, it's not rocket science by any means, but the, mm. the, the learning curve and lessons learned tend to go on the more expensive side. Yeah, for sure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And then, um, so I'm hearing, you know, looking at when it makes sense to have a, a company manage the property and how that can, you know, having that insight from someone who's done this before can really save on some of the, you know, like you said, there's going to be expensive mistakes to make, or if you make the wrong decision around this. And so like, what does it look like then? Um, do you end up having people who then, you know, have their own clinic and then they like stop there? Do other people say, oh, I really like getting a taste for this. And it really makes a lot of sense for me to generate this revenue from property. Do they then start grabbing more property? Like what is that? evolution sometimes look like? Yeah. I mean, if they, um, if, if it's not just one clinic having their own building, um, you know, and they're, it's a multi-tenant building and they get comfortable with, with the data, what that looks like on a day-to-day basis, they definitely do. I think, and what, you know, I think when they start seeing the numbers, um, you know, where they, I mean, there's a, 
their net worth obviously increases, but um, here in, in uh, the U.S., it's very there's tax you know it's very favorable tax wise to own real estate. Um, so, you know they they do they do tend to to grow in either their own practice or in other multi special multi tenant um, healthcare properties. Um, sometimes if the practice is big enough, so there's surgery centers. So, um, you know, if they open up one surgery center in one part of town, then they'll open up another surgery center and, and keep going there. And, and typically they'll have a surgery center and then their offices, their clinic off, you know, the, the pre and post-op clinic right next to it. Um, so they'll, they'll keep going. And when they do find, like I said, when they find a if they do um, have either a, a good lender or a good capital partner. I mean, if you find a good developer that knows what you're looking for, has the architects that know what you're trying to, mm-hmm. how you're trying to organize the space that you get an interior designer that knows, you know, your budget and finishes. And sometimes there's branding that goes along with that. You know, they can just, you know, they can keep going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've definitely seen that where, there's like a, a clinic that has like its own brand, um, mm-hmm. like, you know, as, as, you know, states in the Canada, there's some differences around, you know, pays and like the fact that, you know, the, the, um, physicians are, you know, reg- government, the government is regulating all the, or not regulating, but they're kind of like the, the, the ones who have all the, all the payment goes through them, uh, you know, for, um, for the standardized healthcare, but still people do go out and build their own clinics. And if they're, if they're not in the hospital, they can have that option. And, um, yeah, definitely. I've seen that where some of them like do a really great job of like branding and you like, feel like you're going to like a different, like a sort of like a unique place to, to get healthcare, uh, <laughs> taken care of rather than just more of like the run of the mill mini, uh, strip mall kind of a uh, feel. Um, and then what about, um, you did mention, I don't know how much you can go into detail on this, um, but around the tax treatment, because I, I have a sense that there may be some subtle differences in Canada and the States, but you said that their tax tax treatment of, um, is that of income properties is preferential? Yeah. Yeah. It's income properties. But like I said, if a practice owns a building and, and it's just them, they will sign a lease with the practice. So, mm-hmm. and, and typically the ownership of the real estate it's a it's a legal entity of its own and then the mm-hmm. practice is its own legal entity as well typically that's what happens so they'll write a lease and you know um i don't want to delve too much into this because i yeah. might have some cpas that want to thrash me but yeah, obviously yeah. you know too far down if you can. <laughs> yeah. um, but just in the real estate so there's depreciation um mm-hmm. so the build you know the building has a has a d- depreciation there's a certain percentage, um, every year. And then the capital improvements have a depreciation and, um, the, if the proceeds from a rental income would be taxed, not as ordinary income, Mm. but a lesser tax. Um, so at a, so, so it's a good revenue stream of, um, investment income that's taxed at a different tax rate than ordinary income that, a doctor would receive from their salary from their practice. Okay, very cool. Yeah, so here I'm sound. I'm, he- I'm hearing some similar things in the sense of like um, in Canada, 
there's like the, the active corporation of the practice. And then typically doctors create a secondary corporation to manage any sort of property. So it doesn't get intermingled with the running of the practice. Um, right. And then same, similar things around depreciation. I mean, yeah, same thing. Like I would always want someone to go talk to their accountant to see what they can <laughs> depreciate and like not, you know, make sure they're doing that the proper way. Right. Um, and um, then around the taxation of the income. Um, certainly it's something that I help people look at as to like, how efficient is this? Um, yeah, for sure. And if it's coming through the corporation, there's certain efficiencies there too. Um, and one of the things I find is that a lot of the people who are attracted to property, it's because they really, for whatever background or, you know, sometimes it's like, um, you know, family history of just like owning uh, tangible right. assets. Uh, mm-hmm. That's sometimes very attractive to some people. Like they really like the idea of owning something that they can look at and visit. I mean, my own dad, who's a physician, he bought, he, he and some friends were building um, rental properties when I was a kid way back when so much, that was so much of what I knew of my dad doing that one day someone asked me what he's like, they're like, what does your dad do? And my dad was standing right there. And I said, my dad works in construction. And my dad was a nephrologist. And he's like, why are you saying I work in construction? And I'm like, cause every day after school, you pick us up, we go to this building, we put on hard hats and you tell people what to do. Um, and so that's what I thought my dad did all day. was like, tell people in this dusty old building, like what to do. Um, but yeah, like, do you see that? Like that people tend to like, you know, I get like the two things I see people that really in, enjoy property is one, the tangible asset. It's something they can see. It's something they can look at. And two, it typically creates a, um, an ongoing revenue stream. Like it's not something that you put money in and then wait to get the money, like to get paid Dang. from it. It's actually something that you can start seeing um, the, the financial benefit from early on. Um, would you say that's in line with what you see or is there anything else around that? No, that, absolutely. I mean, the whole, so the whole point and whether, however you purchase it, if it's a multi-tenant medical office building and you're in a practice is looking to take a portion of it, you still want it to generate profit. So the yeah. whole point of an income producing property is to generate profit. You don't want to, you don't want to, you still have to buy it, right? There's still real estate fundamentals that you need to adhere to. And I think, um, you know, that, that has to be kept in mind. And if, if you're, if a building is, if you're buying the building, um, and developing it yourself or buying it and renovating the inside and adaptive reuse, you still need to make sure that you're not paying too much that, um, the rent that is market that you can charge for your, for the rent, you can still make a profit after you finance it, operate it and, and, you know, and pay for it. So, so the numbers still have to make sense so that they can make a profit. So you don't, you don't want to build a building that you can't, that you've paid too much for that. You've spent too much money mm. that you can't charge enough rent to cover your costs, which at the end of the day would be operating and financing and, you know, and not be able to sell it for that. I mean, there, there's still some, I mean, it's not just, you know, anything works. You still have to have real estate fundamentals in the market Mm -hmm. that you're doing the real estate transaction in. Um, So that's very important. You know, one thing I wanted to point out, so, you know, we've been talking about active investing in real estate. So there's also passive options as well. So if someone's like, you know, I, I would like to, you know, get into this asset class, but I just want to be an investor and I want to be a passive investor. And this could, you know, people could start earlier in their careers this way too, but there's, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's some private investment syndications where you just buy certain shares. So you're not having to put tons of money in. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's those. And then, um, 
there's also real estate investment trusts that, that do hundred percent in healthcare real estate. So those are, are traded on, on, um, the stock exchange. So, so those are two passive options if they want to just, you know, passively get into the asset class, if it's attractive to them, but they are not wanting to actively own and manage a property as well. Yeah, that's a good point to bring up because there are just like you're saying, there are investment options where like it's not like you have to get to the point where you can put down this big old down payment and then commit to all this work to like then own a tangible property. Like there are other ways to make the most of uh, options where you don't you can own a portion, you know, like you're saying, like buy shares of something that is participating in real estate growth. Like, yeah, definitely. And I see that, too. Like I see some people um you know, I've, I've helped people put people into certain types of investments like that over the years. And that's part of what they like about it is like, oh, I can actually see the properties listed that this fund is like contributing, you know, like um, a part of. So yeah, definitely. That's a good, um, that's a good thing to bring up as, as one of the options. So you don't have to wait as long to participate in the benefits of a um, tangible property. And what you were saying about like making sure that you recover the money that you've put into it was pretty funny a few years back. Funny now, not at the time. Uh, my wife and I bought a house and renovated it and the cost of the renovation was just out of control, like spiraling out of control as they often do. And uh, we were meeting with the guy who the contractor and he said, well, you know, uh, you know, property values are going to go up and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's true. But like, it doesn't make up for the fact that we're spending too much right now. I was like, right. it's, it's going to be hard for us to recover. Like every extra dollar we put in more than we were planning is going to be a dollar. That's going to be harder to recover when we go to sell our property. So I was like, yes, I get it. And we're going to sell this thing maybe decades from now, but I was like, still like, we don't want to put more into it than we have to, because it's going to be harder to recover it. Yeah. And here, you know, um, you know, when you start to get into commercial property too, you don't get, necessarily, I mean, you can put long-term loans, but long-term loans in a commercial real estate is like a 10-year loan, a 10-year amortization. I mean, you're, you know, you can get a 30-year amortization, but it's usually a 10-year loan, you know, and then start to refinance. It gets, but, um, you know, even long-term financing, I think, uh, you know, after 10 years, you're wanting to refinance throughout the the holding time just to benefit, you know, get the benefit of um, better deal terms. So, um, you, you know, I started, you know, wherever, so, you know, I'm not in every market. So everyone, mm-hmm. you know, I, if people want to have some guidance on how to interview a real estate professional in their market, you know, I started, I've been doing this for about 20 years. I started leasing for an in-house, uh, medical office developer. So saw a ton of deals there and then went into third party brokerage where I did leasing for both landlord and tenant, and then, uh, started into sales. Hmm. So when I look at a rent role and I look at these lease terms, um, you know, I can, I really understand a little bit more of what really happens that, you know, when, when they're talking about options, you know, options, they're not guaranteed. Um, (laughs) and you know, they shouldn't be considered as such, uh, a tenant can renegotiate. There could be like we have now where, you know, they're not necessarily in medical, but um, in the office market, there's a lot more, I would say, supply than demand for office space right now. Um, what's good about healthcare real estate is that typically the supply and demand, you know, they it, it does have its waves, but it's, it's 
typically demand-driven mission critical real estate. So it's it has a purpose behind it. It's purpose-driven. So it doesn't it doesn't get it as overbuilt. Um, but we do have higher vacancies in some markets and lower vacancies in other markets. There's still all of this real estate data that needs to be taken into consideration. And, and I would advise a practice, unless somebody was a formal former healthcare commercial real estate broker, um, you know, to, to partner with somebody that knows exactly what's going on in their market that can advise them on where lease rates are, what where cap rates are, you know, where it's trending, where they predict it to be in five, seven, 10 years, um, who can look at a rent roll, read the leases, understand, you know, some of the, the clauses in there. Um, if there's early terminations, those sorts of things, you know, you can, like I, you know, we've, we've kind of discussed the, the mistakes can be expensive. Mm-hmm. So I always try to advocate for my clients that, good, bad, or ugly. They know exactly what they're buying when they get into it. Um, and so, you know, I, I started doc properties, um, cause I, I started my career and I really enjoy healthcare real estate. And I, I appreciate what healthcare providers can offer us. I appreciate that they don't typically always, unless they're, um, you know, fairly senior, you know, that even in their mid-career, depending on their hospital privileges, they're still taking call on certain weekends um, and they have to take time away from their family that they're seeing patients all day long. They're scheduled 15, 20, 30 minutes, um, you know, surgery days, you know, you can't necessarily take a call from your kid's school and leave to go get them. I mean, you have to have another care provider because you're in the middle of a surgery. (laughs) You can't Mm -hmm. leave the patient and just go. Um, So, um, so, you know, there's, there's all of these sacrifices that I feel healthcare providers do for us as people. And I, uh, I recognize that I have, do not have a healthcare skill set, but I do have the business end where I can help take away some of the stress of the business side of healthcare with regard to real estate, help organize some decisions, help get them the information that they're wanting, answer all of their questions and, you know, help prepare them along this path of owning real estate, creating wealth um, and, you know, investing in themselves at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. And, and you've definitely hit something there around the business side of things. Um, pretty common for physicians to say that like they don't know the business side of um the practice it's and i interviewed a um i interviewed a med school student one of my first interviews and we talked about this and she's like yeah in theory we should learn more about this and at some point in our formal education but she's like but then what do we replace? Like, do we learn less about heart attacks and more about real estate or investing? Like, <laughs> like what could we ethically take away from what we learn to then learn more about the, the quote unquote business side of it, the numbers side of it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so definitely seeing the value in engaging in someone who's got expertise with commercial medical real estate and not, you know, not necessarily trying to figure that out all on your own. Cause I do see that. I do see, um, you know, sometimes people do think, oh, I'm going to figure this out on my own, but the time and the energy it's going to take is going to be really expansive. So, so perfect. I think that time and energy, I don't mean to talk over you, but I think that time okay. and energy is the, is the key point. Cause there are some physicians that, you know, they're overachievers and they go get their MBA. Yep. But then again, you know, if you're not, if you're not doing business deals and negotiating business deals all day long, you don't know exactly kind of the target range of where things are. 
Um, I think that's one thing, but two, it's the time issue. I mean, do you want to see patients all day or be in surgery all day just to go home and spend four hours in email managing the business side of it? I don't know. I, (laughs) I wouldn't want to do that, but, um, you know, I think that that's, that's, that is a key thing is it's, it's the time because it does take time. Got it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's it's, it's that trade-off of time and energy. It's just like you said. Right. Perfect. Awesome. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here around real estate investing and ownership for physicians and for doctors. Um, just what are the, um, what are the best ways for people to learn more about what you do and, and see what you're up to? Sure. My, um, the web address is, is doc, www.docproperties.com. So that's pretty easy. So that has a lot of information about, um, my company transactions that I've done in the past and has some case studies and stories about those. So I think, you know, different practices and um, investors can kind of relate to different mm-hmm. stories. Um, obviously my bio's in there. Email is the best way to get a hold of me, ttalbot at docproperties.com. I do um, my phone number is 480-369-7983. I typically during the day I'm on the phone a lot. So that's why I encourage <laughs> people, um, you know, if they, they want to talk to me immediately, they can text me um, and I'll, you know, I'll call them when I get off the phone or send me an email telling me some general times that they're available. Um, then we don't end up doing a 20 email phone tag. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I'm happy to help answer questions and um, yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so what's the website again? Let's just put that out one more time. Sure. Doc properties, D O C properties.com. Perfect. Yeah. Easy to remember doc properties.com. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Trisha, for joining me on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Galen. All right. Sure thing. Take care. Take care. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.